friends. I'm Katie. And I'm Olivia. And we are Podcast by Proxy, Canadian True Crime. Welcome. We're live. I guess we are. I, I guess we are. I said, heck yes, we are, but I like, I guess we are better. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> Happy Monday, Tuesday, everyone. Yeah, they can just merge into one at this point. Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday. Uh, fr- friendly reminder that... Happy early week. We have an extra episode coming out this week. We have a collaboration Ooh. coming out on Valentine's Day, the Broken Hearts collaboration, so... Be sure to give that a listen and check out the other podcasts that will be in that. Um, yeah. Yeah. And thank you to them for putting that together. It's a really cool opportunity for us to meet other shows, check out other shows. Because, I don't know, I used to listen to more podcasts before we started recording our own. It gets harder and harder to listen when you, you, you're doing it yourself. Yeah, 100%. Um, like, I think just... also because you're scared of sounding like other people or copying their work because it's easy to do when it's storytelling yeah and like harder to find the time to find all the new shows too i mean we all have like our few podcasts that we love but i got a uh show recommendation because last week we were talking about it and i found a show that i want to recommend to you and you might have already heard of it but do you remember when we were at crime con we met um julie who Mm -hmm. was Maura Murray's older sister, or sorry, younger sister. Yes. Mm-hmm. Okay, so there's a new six-part documentary on her disappearance that I just finished this morning. Is it with Sarah Turney? No. Oh. It's with a different uh, investigative journalist oh, person. Oh, okay. And she's very interesting. She's, like, petite, covered in tattoos, like, our kind of people. Yeah, yeah. So I liked her interview style. I liked the way she communicated with people. And it's just called The Disappearance of Maura Murray. Oh, okay. And it's well worth a look into because, I'll be honest, I had a lot of preconceived notions about this case. And when we heard um, her sister speak, I had a few of them changed. Mm -hmm. And then watching this, I got a whole new scope to this case. And it was very interesting. Interesting. Okay, I will actually give that a listen or watch, however you consume it, Um, because I just listened to the Crime Junkie just did an updated episode on Maura Murray um, because Sarah Turney is launching a new or launched a new podcast called Media Pressure, and she did like a multi-part series with Julie on the case. So Mm -hmm. everyone's like bringing it back, um, which I really like because you're right, there are a lot of things about that case that... Um, maybe the media got wrong or were taken out of context and a lot of like missing pieces. And it sounds like Julie has done a lot of her own research. Um, so yeah, I will definitely give that a watch. Well, and I was shocked at, um, not like how much the case had been investigated that we don't know, uh, but how many other like players and components were in this and I never really had a visual I pictured this um like the accident was a little bit more remote Mm -hmm. from where her car was um but it's not and so there was just a lot of pieces that I was like kind of just surprised by even though I thought I had that information Mm -hmm. I had the information but in my head I had pictured it all wrong like way differently yeah 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 interesting I'll have to uh... super interesting 
and Julie's in it. She looks great. She's a lovely person. We met her at CrimeCon. She's wonderful. She was kind. Yeah, she just took the time to talk to everyone who wanted to talk to her. Same Mm -hmm. with Sarah Turney. So they were wonderful. Yeah, I haven't started Media Pressure yet, but I am definitely going to. Oh, yeah. Um, I did want to give a little... There was a couple questions about last week's episode, the Michaela Chang case. um, Yes. Specifically with respect to what happened to the person who helped transport Michaela's body and bury her, like the taxi worker friend landlord guy. Um, like accessory to in this case. Sure. And so it sounds like a big reason for the delay in the investigation was actually that that person was being held for another crime, like in jail, and they needed to wait for him to be released in order to basically work out a deal with him. So how I understand it is that he did get off essentially scot-free, if you will, in exchange for the information that he provided about uh, Michaela and moving the body and those kind of things. Um, and it also it's sounds like... a big like, risk. Yeah, so that's... It sounds like a part of how they actually found her body as well was they used his taxi's GPS. Oh, yeah, because they have, like, a tracker of all their trips. Correct. So just some extra little information. There was some questions about that, and I was able to get that information. Um, Yeah. Well, I appreciate you clarifying those pieces because, yeah, I think that when you have to give up such large information to make or break a case, I don't disagree that it's a high reward, especially because, and maybe I'm wrong, but didn't we not know, like, this guy was just called to ask to help out a friend. He didn't really know what he was getting into until he got there, right? I think he kind of knew just based on like text messages and stuff I've seen. But at the same time, I don't. I think because they had so little information, they were having a hard time really nailing. um, It was a big picture thing. They wanted to get. Yeah. Yeah. The violent one. The one that was a risk to society. They wanted to get the main the main offender and so I, I don't disagree with the decision in that case but yeah there was some questions about that so no I don't believe that this was like a deal with the devil like we've heard no. of before this no. is a product of what needed to be done to make the case mm-hmm. I think yep yeah we can probably get started um if you don't okay. already make sure you follow us on instagram at podcast by proxy on facebook at podcast by proxy and leave a five-star rating and review wherever you're listening and Katie is going to be telling us a story this week. I'm actually doing a case suggestion from my mom. Oh, from your mom. That's cool. Yeah. So not that I'm going to get into it, but I had a pretty tough week. So I definitely had a few extra phone calls with my mom, as we do when we're having a tough week. And in passing, uh, this came up. So I am going to tell you about Charlene Ward. Okay. Ever heard of her? I don't think so. I just like asking you that every week now. I know you always do, but no, I don't think so. (laughs) I also felt like the other case that I was working on, well, actually I have two, one's in BC and one's in Ontario. And again, I feel like when I pick on certain provinces for a while, I need to like, or even just parts of provinces, I maybe need to like divert to a different area. Sure. You know, spread the love. 
Yeah, sure. So today we are going to Portage La Prairie, Manitoba. Oh, okay. Yeah, we haven't been to Manitoba in a while, so that makes sense. To the Toba. As mentioned, we are going to speak about Charlene Ward. She is the middle child. She was born July 1st, 1961. Her dad is a bricklayer, and before having children, her mom did help with the bricklaying company. Uh, But obviously, you know, once she started popping out some babes, bricklaying came to be a bit of a tough job for her. (laughs) Right. Yep, that makes sense. Yeah. So soon after, you know, the children arrived, she became a full-time stay-at-home mom, and dad continued being a bricklayer. From a young age, Charlene always joked that the Canada Day fireworks were her, like, birthday celebration And, of course, living in Manitoba, like, she could probably see a lot of different firework displays. So she would always tell people, like, guys, look, it's my birthday fireworks. Right. Because every year on her birthday, there was fireworks somewhere, so. I have a cousin whose birthday is July 1st, and that's Oh, my God, me too. Really? (laughs) Yeah. Is it a boy or a girl? A girl. Oh, mine's a boy. Mm. We shall party together one day. Brandon's birthday is the day before, so he considers... All the Canada Day celebrations, his birthday celebrations as well. <laughs> he must love it when his birthday's on like a Friday. So then Saturday night is like a huge party and they're like, look, it's my birthday weekend. Well, he always gets the day off the next day of work because it's a statutory holiday. So true. Yeah. Ugh. What a jerk. <laughs> I know. Must be nice for everyone to have a stat holiday after their birthday. Yep. Hmm. Even when you're a kid, all the parents are available to drive the kids to the birthday parties and stuff because it's hot. Damn, boy. Anyway, Charlene and her family grew up on a large piece of property. They were middle class, but spent pretty much all their time playing outside and didn't really spend a ton of money on stuff uh, over and above what was needed. Charlene really struggled when she was little, though, to, like, keep up her growth with her siblings. She was way behind. So even though she was the middle child, she was, like, tiny, tiny. Like, super skinny, um, quite bony even, like, to the touch. Like, I think we've all seen that child that's just maybe leaner or grows slower, and they're mm-hmm. very thin. Um, her cu- her family and the kids in- around her called her Bony Maroney <laughs> when she was little, which... I don't know. Isn't funny, but it's just the rhyming part of it is funny. And I remember my mom saying Boney Maroney when I was a little kid about stuff. Like, I just, it's, I don't know. I just think it's funny. (laughs) Because she was so petite and couldn't benefit from the dairy products on the farm. She was also lactose intolerant. She was missing a big protein component Mm -hmm. that I think the other kids were getting. So her family decided to invest in a goat that was specifically just for Charlene. So it was like one goat that they milked daily. Well, her brother milked daily. She didn't even have to do it. And that milk was specifically for Charlene so that she could like have cereal, have milk in her diet day to day. Like it's just so cute. Um, At the age of nine... Her family allowed her to quit school. She really just kept being like, this isn't for me. I'm not benefiting from it. Um, It wasn't that she, like, didn't do well in it. It's just 
I don't think to her, at her point in her life in grade nine when she had all these like outdoor and life skills that she I think just made a case for herself that it wasn't benefiting her and her parents agreed. Mm, okay. Yeah. So at the age of 19, Charlene does become pregnant with her first daughter, Sherry. Um, and Sherry kind of grows up like off and on with her grandparents. So she's like in and out of the home as she's younger. It sounds like Charlene had her young and she just began her life being like babysat by her grandparents and watched by them a lot. So that was just her routine. It was normal. Mm -hmm. So when she got older and um, they moved into like a little bit more of like a city area, she just wanted to go back to the country. So she would go and stay with her grandparents for like extended periods of time. It sounds like even maybe living with them like off and on part time. Years later, though, um, sorry, I totally said that backwards. Her grandparents moved into the city and she liked the city. So she went and lived with her grandparents off and on in the city and came okay. back to the country. I see. I'm an idiot. I just like brain farted that backwards. Okay. So whatever. Same, same. We all make different. mistakes, people. Yeah. Same, same, but different. She liked yeah. the city. Her grandparents moved to the city. She wanted to be there. We get it. So about five years later, she meets a new man. Uh, they get married. And in all the information I saw, um, in articles, they just reference him as an ex-husband. In a podcast I listened to, they give him a fake name. So I just believe there's no suspicion on this man leading forward in this case. There's no reason to believe that. Um, I this believe is Charlene that gets identity married, capacity. not Sherry. Yeah, Charlene yeah. meets a new man at the age right. of 25. Um, at this point, Sherry's about five or six years old. She's still going back and forth with her grandparents. That's okay. not uncommon. And at 26, they have a second child now in her new marriage named Brittany. Brittany does not go back and forth to the grandparents because that just wasn't her routine from day one. So Sherry goes back and forth a bit still, but Brittany stays at home in her primary residence with her mom. Okay. Charlene bounced around from job to job throughout these years, um, mostly, though, working at a local farm. And Tim Hortons were, like, her two consistent jobs. Like, she would go back and forth to them because she was quite a reliable worker. They said she was hardworking. She had no problems getting a job, apparently. She just wasn't good at keeping them. So she's had, like, every job you can think of, according to her family. Um, but she did struggle with alcoholism, and this could be a reason why at times she lost jobs or wasn't able to maintain them and quit them on her own. Sure. Her grandmother also struggled with alcoholism as well as a parent, and throughout her life, Charlene would attempt to detox herself and dry out a few times, and we will come to see that. When Charlene was 29 years old, um, and at this point then Brittany would be three, Charlene and her husband at the time had a party. She got to the point of being so intoxicated that she fell asleep in the backyard 
and when she woke up in the morning, her three-year-old had come outside, found her, and gone to sleep with her. Oh. Yeah. Someone saw this, whether it was a neighbor or someone at the party, and called CPS, advising that Brittany was in an unsafe situation, and Brittany was removed short-term while Charlene was mandated to go to a dry-out center or a detox center. Okay. Which is nice to see. They could at least see that Charlene wasn't a bad mother. She just needed to help herself a little bit and get some professional help before she was an adequate parent. Yeah. Yeah. Once she was released from the dry-out center, of course, she did get Brittany back. They went on about their lives, but again, four years later, she relapses and Brittany is removed again at the age of seven. Okay. While Brittany was removed, though, she was luckily able to stay with, like, a family friend who was close to them. So Charlene was, or sorry... Yeah, sorry. So Charlene was still able to, like, maintain contact. And when she was at home getting assimilated back to regular life, she was still able to go and visit Brittany and see her. Right. So that's nice. And then I assume shared yeah. with their grandparents at this point. Yeah. She just asked the grandparents to keep her there right. for the time being. Okay. And it sounds like these were, like, your standard, like, 90 days kind of thing. Like, mm-hmm. it doesn't seem like it was a huge ask for someone to just take Brittany for a couple months if they were close family or friend. Yeah. In 2007, Charlene was living with a boyfriend and working at Tim Hortons, Um, but by the fall of that year, the relationship was unstable, and they were needing to move out of the home because, and they're not connected, but there was also a fire in the home, like, after they had split and were living in the residence together, and it became, like, unlivable. Okay. So they were both needing to move out, and unfortunately, Charlene's cats died in the house fire. That is so sad, and also, maybe I'll bring it up later, but there's a new documentary on Netflix where somebody, like, literally lights their own house on fire and all their animals die, like, as a jealous... Anyways, we'll get to it later, but that's what that reminded me of, and I still can't fathom that somebody would do that on purpose. Because it's devastating enough if there's a fire and your animals die, but to know that the person, like, did it on purpose to make somebody else, like, to keep up a ruse is outrageous to me. Yeah. That is disgusting and outrageous. And I, if anyone knows us, knows we are just, like, animal people through and through. So that is, like, the ultimate crime to us. Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) Again, don't care if people die in movies. But you kill the dog? Ugh! Yeah, that's super sad. While Charlene was looking for a new residence because of the fire, she took this time to stay a little bit of time with each of her daughters, reconnect with her grandkids, as well as stay a little bit with one of her nieces, uh, just to be able to kind of reconnect with family, spend that time. Right? It's there. Why not? Her grandkids? She doesn't have grandkids. She does at this point. Oh, okay. Well, we're in 2007. Like, both her daughters have moved out, and she's living with a boyfriend. So, this is, like, years later. Okay, so, like, Sherry has kids or something? Yeah. Okay. Both of them do. Oh, okay, okay. Sherry and Brittany both live on their own and have young children at this point. Oh, okay. Wow. Oh, yeah. This is, like, years later. Oh, okay. 2007. Okay. 
Yeah, because remember by the fall of 2007, the house is burned down. So, by all accounts from all family members, given the circumstance, Charlene was still in really good spirits. Um, She was kind of getting away from this crappy boyfriend. She was spending time with family. So, I think it was the best she could be doing during the circumstances. And Brittany actually had just had a new baby just recently. So she said, like, Mom, why don't you move in with me? You could be the extra set of hands I need for help, and I have a spare room. So it's kind of like a win-win. Yeah. Charlene thinks this is great. It's not too far from where she works. It gets her with family. Perfect. She's scheduled October 31st, Halloween, for a 3 to 11 p.m. at the Tim Hortons she works at. She calls home, though, at 11.45, saying that she's actually working a double because someone called in sick. Because, like, when she first calls home, she, cause she calls Brittany, and Brittany's like, why are you still at work? Mm-hmm. Like, shouldn't you be, like, home by now? And she's like, well, no, I'm actually in the bathroom right now, like, and I'm working the drive through from the bathroom. So, like, look at me. I'm a multitasker. So she's, like, <laughs> sitting, peeing, and working the headset and talking to her daughter on the phone. Girl, get it. By 12.15, though, someone that the manager had called into work decided to come in for a shift and cover, so she's actually able to relieve Charlene, and she's able to head home, and Brittany and her decide that they're going to go out to the bar, because it is Halloween, and there's a couple hours till close, so why not? Yeah, why not? Halloween's usually a fun night to go out. Right? And I assume that... I couldn't find mention of it, but I assume that all the kids are maybe, like, with their dad or at a sitter because it's Halloween. Sure. And Charlene was expected to be off work at 11, so I think maybe they had a plan to go out. Okay. And just decided to still go out. There is very limited information about this case. Okay. So they head down to the Cat and the Fiddle Bar. Um, There's a large group of people there. They're all partying for Halloween. The bar starts to close down around 2 a.m., Charlene and her daughter say, like, screw this, the party's not ending, come back to our house. So they pretty much just, like, invite the bar back to their house. Okay. Because they climb in a cab with a friend and family member, Jimmy, who just, like, rips them home quickly that night. Love a friend with a cab. <laughs> um, So he drops them off, but he sees that there's, like, continually people showing up as well as he's dropping them off. And some people say that by the end of it, there was, like, 40 people at this house party. Oh, shit. Okay. Yeah. Not, like, too many, but it's a decent amount of people. Yeah, but I think Brittany just has, like, this, like, not huge, like, two-story, like, condo or a small home. So 40 people in there is a lot. There's a lot of people. Okay. Yeah. So as we said, it's about 2 a.m. Everyone's arriving back there. They keep the party going. And... By, like, 5 a.m., there's only about 10 people left. So between two and five people are there. They're partying, but they're dwindling out. They're coming and going. You know how it is at that point. Yeah. Jamie, Brittany's boyfriend, um, gets up the next morning and leaves the house at about 7.50 for work. And by 8.45... Brittany's up, moving around the house and looking for her mom, checking on her. 
Now, Brittany and her boyfriend were sleeping downstairs in their living room on, like, a futon or a fold-out of some kind, and Charlene was sleeping in the bedroom upstairs. Okay. Um, I don't know if it was because she had just had the baby and going up and down the stairs was a nuisance or what, but that was just the sleeping setup for that night. Mm-hmm. Brittany goes upstairs to find Charlene bloody and hurt laying in the doorway to the bedroom. She runs to the neighbor's house because she doesn't have a phone and she calls Sherry first and says, our mom is really hurt. I need your help. She runs back next door, but having overheard the phone call, Darcy, the neighbor whose house she's in, calls 911 thinking like this could be bad. Okay, well, that's good. Yeah. Sherry only lives about five blocks away and she immediately rushes to... The mom's house, or sorry, to her sister's house to check on the mom. As she's leaving the house, she grabs a bag of candy, apparently, and her four-year-old because she doesn't know what to do with her because she's not in school. She's her one child that's home with her all day. Right. And she essentially just thinks like, okay, well, when I get there, I'm just going to like park her somewhere and tell her to stay and give her this bag of candy because this is an emergency. That makes sense to me. Thinking on the fly, lady. Yeah. Sherry arrives and she sets her daughter downstairs and says, wait right here. Do not come upstairs no matter what you hear mommy yell. She arrives up at the top of the stairs to see blood everywhere. The walls, the floor, the bedding, everything. Oh God. Her mom's sweatpants are covered in blood. Her bedding is like half pulled off the bed. And Sherry is just like dumbfounded by like, you just thought her mom was hurt? Yeah. Like, and then she says, but, like, she was probably just in shock and didn't I was going to say, and... yeah, we all process shock differently, but. And she's the baby. Like, mm-hmm. her instinct was just to call her big sister for help, I think. Yeah. At this moment, that's what she's assuming. She knew immediately, though, that her mom was not alive. Like, she could just tell by the way she was laying, the way she was positioned. Ugh. No. Sherry knows not to touch her because they are going to need the police to get involved because they can. she can just tell something's wrong. Mm-hmm. This isn't something that she fell and hurt herself or yeah. something happened. Someone has done this to her. Yeah, like this is not a normal, this isn't like, yeah, she didn't, she didn't just fall. No. Yeah. Okay. Um, and I did listen to True Nor True Crime just because there was very little information on this. So I wanted mm-hmm. to listen to like their family accounts of these moments and... Sherry even says, like, because she couldn't really see the damage to her mother at the time, when she goes to the funeral home, she actually asked for her to have no makeup on because she wanted to see herself what had been done to her mother so that, like, she could get a clearer picture of the whole case and what could have happened because she felt like, kind of like she was, like, shooed away from it and always felt like maybe the police didn't take it seriously at the scene. Mm Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, so I mean, I think some that people need that for her. closure as well, like needing to see like what actually happened. Yeah. Definitely. But then on, you know, on the other hand, sometimes police don't want family members to see that because they think it's going to be way too traumatizing and things like that. So. And I think both are right and yeah. wrong. You know, like there's no, you're yeah. never going to get a black and white on that one. No. 
Sherry, though, was, like, pretty disgusted when she saw her mother to find that her face reflected significant defensive wounds, as did her hands and her arms from what they could see. So, she was disturbed that police weren't putting more efforts into saying this was, like, a violent crime and to find someone. Right. So, they were... I don't know. I don't know how else to say it because upset doesn't even begin to explain it. So what were they saying happened? They weren't sure at this point. Mm, okay. They just weren't putting enough They're... emphasis on the fact that it was like obviously a vicious attack of some sort. Yeah. It just seems like they're going through the information so slowly given that there was like only about 10 people left at the house party at that time that they right. assume it happened within. But we'll get into that a bit more. I think it's more just that there's potentially so many suspects. Okay. That they don't know what to say yet. Because it could have been someone from before that. Potentially. Yeah. But they just feel like it's later in the morning that it happened based on the condition of her body and the blood at the scene. So they've narrowed it down to about a 45 minute window because of how quickly it all happened. So. Right. Okay. Yeah. One family member recalls Charlene would call her every payday and ask for $20. So when she got the call, like, at the, like, that weekend on, you know, right on track. She's at work sitting in her break room. She just went on her coffee break, and the PA system says that she has a call on line one. She picks up the call thinking it's going to be Charlene asking for her biweekly $20 that she asks for. But no. It's someone else explaining to her what had happened to Charlene, and she can barely stay on her own two feet. RCMP reviewed who was left at the house party at the time and cleared who they think was at the party between 8 and 8.45 or who could have been trickling out as the last attendees as Jamie left for work. Defensive wounds, bedding pulled from the bed, and the blood everywhere obviously made it assume that it was a large fight and the defensive wounds support that. However, no one heard anything or is able to say that there was any commotion in the home that they were aware of mm. and being was a there small still loud music playing was there still a party i don't know but like being it a small house you'd think somebody now. would have heard something yeah even if like you have loud music playing the sound of like a thump on the floor above of like furniture falling over or someone potentially falling out of bed yeah i i think you would still hear it yeah i agree there's no weapon found in the home, but based on the, like, lacerations and small wounds, it's believed to be some type of very small knife. So something easily concealable, so it could have been taken out of the home. But the family of Charlene believes that police have, police have completely botched this collection of evidence and the handling of this case from night one. Mm. Even though there were people in the home, no clothing were collected from any of them to see if there was any DNA. Right. There were pictures taken, and even Sherry herself saw these pictures, and they were super blurry, and they advised that they were going to have to come back and take more photos of the scene. But they had given an okay for the parts that needed to be photographed again to be cleaned. Uh, no. So there was complete misinformation given to, like, the people on scene, whether it was a cleanup crew or the family. Right. It was just, like, totally mishandled, that portion of it. Right. 
But May of 2007, or sorry, 2017, so 10 years later, police announced that there's an arrest in the case. 10 years later, wow. 10 years later when there's almost radio silence about the advancements or what's happened in that time. Wow. Brittany is arrested for the murder of her mother. Oh, shit. (laughs) Brittany had taken numerous polygraph tests throughout the years, three at minimum, because three are... are referenced in supporting her arrest. All of them had either failed or had inconclusive results when asked if you killed your mother, Charlene. Hmm. But because that was all they had to go on the next day, Brittany was released with no charges. Yeah. Polygraphs don't stand up in court, so... No, they really brought her in thinking, like, maybe if we just bring her in, show that we've been working on this for years, we have this information, like, we need something else. Maybe we, this will get her to break a little bit. Yeah, like, we can get a confession um, out of her or something. Hmm. Yeah, thinking, like, well, we have 10 years of work on this, so you better watch out, lady, kind of thing, and mm-hmm. hope that that, combined with the inconclusive results, would get her to crack. But she maintained her composure and just walked out of there. Okay. Do they have a motive? Yes. Okay. Yeah. Okay. And most of the motive actually comes from the information they get from the family afterwards, more about a change in Brittany's behavior. Mm. Okay. So one family member kept telling her um, police and authorities that it was unusual that Brittany kept mentioning this guy that lived, like, a couple blocks away. He was, like, this young guy that apparently was, like, really interested in Charlene. And she's like, I don't know, but I bet it's that guy. And it, they just felt it was weird that, like, she never went to police or tried to prove it was that guy. But she would be like, mm, no, it's that guy. Right. So she was just kept trying to, like, point the finger at somebody else. Mm-hmm. Um. Also, throughout that 10-year investigation, police found out the truth that it was actually Darcy that called police. Right. And not so Brittany herself. Brittany had told her family for years that she immediately called Sherry and then called police. Right. And but when, when they she found didn't out call that, police. Right. And when they found out she didn't, they were like... That's weird. What the hell? Why would you not call police? Like, you live in that home and your spouse has gone to work now. You're alone in this home that could have an attacker in it, if nothing else. Like, mm-hmm. why would you not call police? Yeah. Aside from that, um, there were party goers that mentioned that Brittany had a knife in her possession at the party earlier and was, like, waving it around a bit and just being kind of odd with it. Um and family mem- multiple family members had referenced that, like, in a big family fight about five years earlier, um, Brittany had looked at her mom and said, you fucking bitch, I will kill you one day. Huh. And it, okay. like, literally hit people so hard when she said it that it they never forgot it. So when this happened, they were like, was this one day? Like, it didn't just sound like an empty threat when you're mad. No. Yeah, okay. Like, I think we've all gotten mad and been like, oh, I could fucking kill you right now. Yeah, I mean, I, think I don't we could anymore, all... but No, yes. <laughs> but I think we've all even said it in our heads or something at an age or just blurted it out not thinking. But this didn't sound like that. Right. This was like eye contact and like a promise made almost. 
Okay. Sherry also reported that although Brittany told authorities that her and her mom had, like, this great relationship, she was helping her raise her new baby, she was helping out around the house, Brittany and her mom were, like, oil and water to one another, apparently. They did not actually get along on just, like, a person-to-person level. And Brittany was kind of a loose cannon. Reports came back, of course, with this fight that she's waving the knife around and then supported by family members saying, like, she really is a wild card. You kind of never know what Brittany will do. Okay. Immediately gave authorities the likes they needed to, like, investigate her more. Mm -hmm. And then combined with, like we said, bringing her in for questioning, they were hoping they were going to break her. Which, fair. Yeah. Now... A lot of the speculation about what could have happened and a lot of the theories were countless stories that all start out the same. So I'm not going to recount them all, Um, but they all were along the same lines. Every person at that party advised that they could tell that Brittany was living off her mom. There's likely a reason she didn't go to the bar until her mom was available. Um, She may have been footing the bill. Right. She was supplying potentially any other drugs that they were taking as well. Um, So I think that Brittany was potentially frustrated that her mom was running late that night. Wasn't, you know, like a multitude of things. Mm -hmm. But every party goer has their same story. Okay. They went back to the house. Brittany was waving a gun around. Saying something along the lines of, like, I'll kill somebody. A knife or a gun? A knife. Oh, okay. You said a gun. I was like, where did the gun come from? Oh, sorry. No, a knife. A knife. No, okay. (laughs) No, no, no. She had a knife. No one's able to confirm exactly the size of the knife. But every recount recount confirms the knife is in her hand. Okay. Which is, yeah. Yeah. They say they see Sherry and her mom drinking and doing cocaine together. And they do see Brittany get frustrated at a point when the cocaine dies down. Sure. There's reference that every payday that they party like this because it's when Charlene gets paid and she's able to foot roll a pretty big party and support both their habits of Mm -hmm. alcohol and potentially cocaine. So what they think happened after that, knowing that all those details were confirmed, is that either it ran out, Charlene wasn't willing to buy something different, or wasn't willing to continue footing the bill that night and had cut Brittany off. Yeah. Brittany took the knife that she had been in possession of all night, waving around, attacked her mother, and brutally just left her there. Yeah, and then went and slept on the futon downstairs. Yeah. Right. And then when her spouse woke up, got ready for work, and left, she pretended like nothing was wrong. Right. Yeah. I mean, now drugs, Sherry, drugs make you do crazy things. So Yeah. And, like, one thing that Sherry goes back to is she was like, I know my mom could never fight back to me or my sister. So I could see my mom having defensive wounds because she was like, Brittany, stop. Don't. Mm-hmm. Like, she didn't want Brittany getting in trouble for this. So she just tried to stop her before anything bad happened. Mm-hmm. 
but unfortunately, because Brittany potentially had the element of surprise and had the upper hand with the weapon, she took it too far and injured Charlene, and we still aren't even quite sure what, like, the cause of death was, like, which injury caused it, or which puncture, Sure. because there were quite a few. Um... Yeah, that's awful. But police stand by their statement that just because they've released her doesn't mean she's not a suspect anymore. Right. Yeah, that's fair. That doesn't change that. Nothing has changed. And they have made public note that Brittany has made no effort to attend any event for her mother or to keep her mother's name in the public eye over the course of, like, the last, what was it, 17 years total? Yeah. Like, but the last 10 years specifically, she has not attended uh, memorial, any type of vigil or any type of event to cr- bring awareness to her mother. And that one's hard because, like, of course, the scene wasn't processed properly, but even had it been, like, that's her house and she lives there. So, of course, her DNA is going to be everywhere. Yeah. Like, they both live in that house. It's not like, you know. When police didn't take her clothing from her that night. Right. And by the time they did take them from her, she had already washed them. Yeah, so they had they taken them at the time, there could have been blood, which would have been a lot more telling than just... 100%. There definitely would have been blood on those clothing. Oh, those man. Clothing. That's... Ugh. Yeah. It's frustrating um, when it's when it's like that, you know? When things were missed or it was done too quickly, Communication was lost. What it seems like. And I I don't know if they kind of discredited, like, well, there's so many people in the house. How are we ever going to solve this? Like, I don't know if that was the case. But you said there was so much blood. So you would assume that whoever attacked her also had blood on them. And, like, they, from my understanding, and I could be wrong, and they could have just kept this close to the vest, Mm -hmm. but, or close to the chest, whatever the saying is. But there was no photographs taken of, like, the family's hands who were in the home potentially to see if they had defensive wounds on them. Like, I don't know if Brittany's hands were ever checked for scrapes or cuts or blood under the edges of her fingernails or anything. Like there's no confirmation of that. And it sounds like the collection of evidence, like we said, was lackluster or barely any. Mm -hmm. And I think we've seen that sometimes family members are so distraught that it's easy. I think for authorities to believe they couldn't have been involved. Yeah. And I think that kind of is what happened here because Brittany was so involved in the discovery and trying to, like, get no like, people and authorities there for her mother, she claimed, that people just believed that she discovered it. And it was some stranger who did drugs at the house party and killed her mom. Right. Yeah. And it, that's nowhere near the case. No. It doesn't sound like it. No. This is Brittany turning into a loose cannon, according to her family, and attacking her mother when her mother is there helping her take care of her child and it sounds like pitching in financially when she can yeah so it's unfortunate to hear that she was just taken advantage of yeah and i mean like i said before substance use abuse does make you do things that you might not normally do when you're of a sound mind if you're like desperate for more and things like that um so that's really sad yeah so it's 
that's really all the information I have because yeah. again we are sitting waiting for evidence on Brittany to come in. Yeah. Or if any other players were involved in assisting Brittany in this. So long ago um, now too. It's like been what, fifteen seventeen, 17 years? years? Wow. Sad yeah, for the rest so, of her family too. Unfortunately when we hear of cases that don't have much evidence then combined with the degrading of evidence over the years, um, I don't know if evidence specifically is going to be the make or break on this. Uh, I think it's going to be someone having information that is going to allow authorities to either put a missing piece together or get Brittany to break. Mm -hmm. Um, But if anyone out there knows anything, they can contact Crime Stoppers at 1-800-222-8477 or online at manitobacrimestoppers.com. They have a specific page dedicated to this case. They call it, uh, it's like an archived, it's not an archived case, but it's like a historic case at this point because it's past the 15 year mark Mm -hmm. in Manitoba. So although it's listed as historic, it is not closed. You can gladly submit information on this case at any time and it will be collected upon an action still. And I feel like someone always knows something, so... I just think with her waving the gun around, or sorry, the knife around, why do I keep wanting to say gun now? Waving the knife around at a party and, like, sounds like she was kind of running her mouth when she got annoyed or frustrated. Mm -hmm. It was her personality type. So I just find it hard to believe that she wouldn't be like, like, if her mom said something in passing, turning to a party guest and being like, I'm going to fucking kill her. Yeah, I'm a pretty firm believer that somebody always knows something and people, like, can't keep their mouth shut forever, so... My guess would be that somebody is just not is too scared to divulge the information or, you know, feels well, it sounds have... like Brittany's kind of a scary person. Yeah. So hopefully that fear goes away over time and they will be brave enough to share that information. Because, again, I just feel like people can't people don't stay quiet forever. Um, sometimes it just takes a really, really long time for that fear to go away and things like that. Yeah, I just hope that the rest of her family gets the closure they need one day because Mm -hmm. from my understanding, Brittany has gone about living her life like normal and everyone in her family is like, no, she did it. Yeah. So the family is on board with the conviction and who is responsible. So now I just hope that they can put the pieces together because I couldn't imagine living with someone in your family who's going about it like they did nothing wrong. Yeah, 100%. That would make it so oh. much harder. Yeah. I think having her out of sight, out of mind would allow the family to grieve properly and process finally. Because I'm sure they haven't grieved properly. No. No, how could you? But that's my case. Wow. Well, you did a great job. That's really sad. And again, I hope that somebody is brave enough one day to say something. And that Because I really do think that that's how this is going to get solved if we don't have other evidence. Um. The documentary that I was talking about, of course, as soon as there's a new documentary on Netflix, I've like eaten it up in 30 seconds. Um, It's called Lover, Stalker, Killer. And it's the case of Carrie Farber and Liz Gullier, which like many people might actually know the story. It's funny because I recognize the names, but I didn't remember at all what happened. I was just like, hmm, those names sound really familiar. Um, It's wild. I feel like I've started that. Okay, so, well, you should finish it. And it's on Netflix, you said? Yes. Um, and Netflix. I, again, did not remember at all. Like it's so funny. I opened my Netflix and it's the first one. 
anything what happened. Um, but the house fire thing made me think of it. So I highly suggest watching that and just being prepared for the roller coaster of your life. Well, although the listeners wouldn't have heard this part, I told Olivia just before this that today I have no plans this afternoon because my plans have changed. And I am just carving out like a few hours to watch something on TV and maybe have a nap and do nothing. Go. So you just decided for me. Thank yes. you. Yes, you definitely should finish that. Um, Thank you. Yeah, Netflix just doesn't disappoint ever. They just do a good job. They're good storytelling for documentaries. I watch like documentaries yeah. on Disney and on Prime and stuff, and I'm just never as... I mean, the Netflix documentaries definitely are all similar Netflix in terms budgets. of how they're put together, but oh, they just are good. Yeah, I'm trying to think if... There was one other one that I had seen recently and I was like oh gotta tell ya but I guess not I just started the daughters of the cult or something on Disney that one's pretty crazy too but yeah if you don't already make sure you give us a follow on Instagram and Facebook and like our show wherever you're listening five star rating and review and don't forget we do have a collaboration coming up which will be posted after this episode Thanks, guys. Yeah. And we will talk to you next week. Bye. Bye. I'll call you soon. Okay. Okay. Bye. 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 How do I stop this shit? I'll stop it. <laughs> okay. <laughs>